Welcome to the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. My name is Liz Herrera and I am your host, career coach, and job search ally. People strive to find career happiness, purpose, and satisfaction, and yet end up in a career path that does not align with their goals and overall purpose. If you are launching your career or ready for your next career move, this podcast will empower you to pave your path and take the action steps to get you where you need to be. Let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. Today, we're diving into one of my favorite professional development topics, a skill that many of us either want to improve or simply overcome, and that is the fear of public speaking and the courage to speak up. When it comes to public speaking and communication, many of us feel that weight of anxiety and the fear of judgment. And the question lingers, do you find the courage to take center stage confidently? Or do you catch yourself hesitating, grappling with that imposter syndrome? If this resonates with you, keep on listening because today's episode is all about transformative communication. Today, I am featuring the incredible Betty Rhodes. She is a licensed attorney, impactful speaker, and impact leadership coach. She serves people who want to influence positive change by speaking up and speaking out, channeling her expertise and mission-driven background to help clients with impact leadership meaningful career development, and authentically confident communication. Hello, Betty. Welcome to the show. I have been looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. You and I, we got connected by someone in our mutual network. And I have to say that I was immediately captivated by your tagline. You have it where it says, helping people speak up and speak out to influence positive change. And so I was so excited to have you on because of what you are about, your mission-driven, and just your impact and your background. So thank you. So you are a very interesting professional, and I'm excited to share your story and your insight with my listeners today. Can we kick it off by you sharing a little bit about your career journey as an attorney And then how you transition from roles in public service to becoming an influential speaker and impact leadership coach? Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) I always laugh when I talk about sort of my, my genesis as an attorney, because I truly went to law school because I just didn't, I wasn't ready to grow up. Uh, I was an English major in college. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I knew that that was not the path for me. But at the time that I graduated, you know, the economy was very good and things were great. And so it was not as controversial to just say, well, I'm not quite ready to decide what I want to do. So I think I'll go to law school. It it was just kind of a weird default choice. And the good news about it was that I loved law school. I loved learning about the law. It really helps you to think critically, your writing improves, your speaking improves, uh, but I really didn't like being a lawyer. I I tried my hand at it uh, in a couple of different 
formats. And it just wasn't for me. And I think at the end of the day, it's because the types of work that I was doing, the types of organizations that I was working with and for, I just really didn't feel like I was doing the best that I could do to help people who really needed help. Um, And part of that was I specialized in transactional law. So it wasn't kind of your law and order style, you know, criminal (laughs) helping the little guy kind of stuff. It was, it was much more sort of business transactions and, and that is a little tougher to sort of fight for the little guy. So public service called me and luckily a law degree does give you a lot of marketable skills And so I found my way to government and just sort of started the process of learning how to be an effective public servant. And so I did that in government for about 12 years. Then I moved to the nonprofit sector, which I had always wanted to do, was there for about five years. And then, you know, going on two decades of of working in the public sector especially since COVID was kind of the tail end of my experience, I was just really burned out. And I started thinking about what could I do to continue to help people, but in a different way. And I thought about one of the things that really stuck with me from every aspect of my career, which was, you know, I saw these incredible, smart, driven, capable women who would make themselves small in Mm -hmm. order to get a seat at the table or in order to try to fit in or be heard. And that never sat right with me. And I've done it, right? Like we've all done it. And it never sat right with me when I did it. And it never sat right with me when I saw other women doing it. So that's kind of eventually how I came around to, well, you know what? I would really like to spend a lot of my time now helping women to shake that off and develop the confidence to be able to bring their whole authentic selves to the table, but in a way that maximizes their ability to make an impact in their communities. I absolutely love that. And first of all, even just you, how you jumpstarted your career in law and that's not surprising, right? A lot of times I, you know, I work with college students. It's like, like you said, like somebody like, I watch Law and Order. I want to be an attorney. And it's like, you get to, you went to law school, you loved it. But there was a point in your career where you recognize, you know, your values and you're like, this doesn't quite resonate with me, but it did open doors. And I yes. just, lo- that's what I love about people's career trajectories is that I don't think anything is a waste, right? It's like, you're exploring, you're, you're curious, you're figuring things out. And then it opened up spaces for you where you got to work in public service and the nonprofits, but then you really narrowed down even more some of the things that you were experiencing at witnessing, especially with, with women. And for me, I was just so curious, you know, what led, what led for you to become this public speaker, effective communicator expert. I, I do want to talk about something that I personally experienced that, you know, just kind of how you just shared a little bit about this. So like I have been in spaces with male professionals, right? And they are dominating the conversation. And I have found myself to to staying quiet, whether it's a lack of confidence for whatever reason on the topic, or I don't want to interrupt them. Can you share some tips that you have for women that are maybe in these spaces and in these situations to feel confident and speak up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think 
the the overarching thing that I would say is that the more you do it, the more comfortable it becomes. So it's partially just about getting yourself in the habit of inserting yourself. And you don't have to do that in a rude way or in an interruptive way. You can wait until there's a pause, but it's just about telling yourself over and over, I have something important to contribute. I wouldn't be here in the room if I didn't. And so my voice matters. And there are going to be people who suffer or who don't get what they need or who don't have opportunities if I don't open up my mouth and say what needs to be said. You know, I think when you frame everything as service to others, it becomes a lot easier to open your mouth because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for your customer. You're doing it for your client. You're doing it for your team. So kind of taking that focus away from the self can be super helpful. And I think the other thing too is this is really tricky, right? You know, a lot of women in male dominated spaces, they feel like they're spoken over Mm. or they can't get a word in and they don't know how to sort of like get in there without doing the things that, that are being done to them. But I think two things I would say, number one, make sure that you have allies, identify your allies in your office, in your environment who can perhaps also open their mouths and say, Hey, you know what? Liz was actually just in the middle of a thought about that. Why don't we let her finish? You know, so somebody else can also sort of shine a light on these issues. But then if there if there isn't that person, you know, the thing that I would offer first is most people are so much more receptive to feedback like this aside. You know, it doesn't always have to be a conflict at the table in public in front of the entire team. Sometimes it's just about pulling someone to the side and saying, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but you really just stepped all over what I was just saying. And I felt, you know, that that was inappropriate or unacceptable. And I wanted to bring it to your attention because I know you don't want to come across that way, but I wanted to do it in a respectful manner. So things like that and just sort of hyping yourself up to be able to say things like that in a very sort of neutral, calm way. Again, the more you practice it, the more comfortable you get with it. I think that those are incredible tips. I I really appreciate the the reframe of that mindset that resonates with me. It's going about it. If I don't speak up, then I'm not advocating or serving. And like for me, because I personally am a mission-driven person and I know a lot of my listeners are as well and they are advocating for someone or or they are in public service that kind of thinking about it in that way, it changes some things. Um, Yes. (laughs) That is extremely helpful. I'm going to try that next time. And then the other piece too, and I think this is why it's so important, right? When the people that you work with, that you have that open communication and not being confrontational because sometimes people may not be self-aware, right? And so just, you know, expressing that, you know, maybe you felt a certain way and that maybe you were hesitant, you know, and I think a lot of times like people have shared with me and especially women and women of color too, like we don't interrupt. And so being taught that, but like other people, like they'll chime in. So really figuring out the strategy of when to chime in and get your point across, uh, but it does take practice. 
It does. And I really think that there's a lot of tools that we have at our disposal. And I don't mean to suggest that every situation is going to require the same type of intervention. Obviously, people know their own workspaces and they know their own sort of like internal politics and, and things like that. And obviously, all of that stuff plays a part. But even if it's just, you know, the tiniest bravery of, you know, talking to somebody after a meeting or just bringing it up and most, you know, I think the other thing that's really important too, and this is something that I think <laughs> it just took some growing up for me to learn. Don't, don't assume intent. So mm. people interrupt other people all the time. Sometimes I know sometimes when I catch myself doing it, it's because I'm just really excited about whatever it is that we're talking about. It has nothing to do with me trying to disrespect someone. It's not a power move. It's just like, I'm jazzed about what we're talking about. So not making an assumption about the intention of somebody else is also a really helpful way to sort of come to these conversations that keeps it from being confrontational. And, you know, somebody might not even be totally aware of how they're coming across. And so that's part of why, you know, addressing things privately, particularly if they're happening repetitively, can be a really good first strategy and can help you build trust and rapport with other people. That is a great point. And in, in just having that that in mind. I like that. Okay. So kind of in the same realm of change and, and your experience working in public service. So those individuals who are mission-driven professionals, how do you guide people to leverage their communication skills to advocate for and bring forth change? Huh, what a good question. Such a big question too. You know, I think <laughs> I always start by really impressing upon people that somewhere out in the world is someone who needs to hear exactly your story, who needs to hear exactly how you solved a particular problem because they're facing something similar and they don't know what to do. So even that one person, if you can impact that one person in a positive way, I mean, there are people who go their whole lives without making an impact like that. And that's, that's so important. And to me, that's so much bigger than any money that we make or any fancy things that we have. It's have you kind of left things a little bit better than you found them? And so, again, that that starting point of there is somebody out there who needs what you have to say. They want to hear what you have to say. So that's the first thing is because I think a lot of women in particular think, well, nobody cares what I have to say. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not exciting. I don't, I'm not some famous, you know, influential person who cares about my story. I promise you somebody cares. And I promise you it's usually more than one person, but even it, let's just keep it at one person. That's a that's a big deal. The thought that that your story or your advocacy could positively impact someone else's life. That's that's meaningful. That's as a human being, you know, we all seek these connections and these opportunities to find community. And so that's just it's such a it's such a simple communication is such a simple way to get at that. And I focus a lot on public speaking because 
I look at public speaking as something that is happening every day all around us, and we're doing it all the time. So public speaking isn't just Betty on a stage giving a keynote in front of 500 people. It's Betty and Liz having a conversation to get to know one another. That's public speaking. Anytime you're talking to somebody who's not yourself, um, the voices in your head do not count, sadly. Um, you know, <laughs> talk, to, talk to them all you like, but that's not really public speaking. But any other communication where you're engaging with another, another person, that's public speaking. And so again, it's another reframe, right? It's when you think about it that way, you've done it your whole life. So why is it scary? And so helping people to kind of reframe and reposition their understanding of communication and the power of communication is really the first step in terms of embracing it and really focusing on maximizing it. I think that is that is key to getting anybody to really latch onto it and say, okay, how can I now do this better in a more effective way in a more authentic way. It all, it all starts there. I, I am so happy that we are having this conversation. And I know that I shared this with you previously, but you know, I have my own personal anxiety around public speaking, even though I, I I'm an instructor and I done thousands of presentations, but I just want to kind of talk a little bit about the, the high stakes and the low stakes of speaking yeah. enga- engagements. I feel like you're right at their power of communication, the power of storytelling and we're constantly communicating. As a career coach, you know, I'm I'm coaching people on how to communicate and articulate their strengths and their stories in a job interview or preparing for a job interview presentation. What are some tips that you have for people who experience anxiety when stepping into let's start with the high stake speaking engagement. So yeah, the, the you're talking to administrators or maybe the big lecture hall or there is a big crowd. What what are some strategies for high stake speaking engagements? You know, it's it's interesting because number one, I think for many of the people who have anxiety related to public speaking, there really isn't a lot of distinction between the high stakes and the low stakes, right? It all creates potential anxiety. It's just maybe the levels are slightly different. And so I have a method that I use, whether it's a high stakes or a low stakes. And again, I think that kind of not separating them like that is helpful in getting people to feel more comfortable and getting people to think of public speaking as something that is commonplace rather than occasional. So I'm going to give you my rundown, and I think it's going to apply to both. There's a lot that you could focus on. You know, of course, there's content, the actual words. But I think most of the things that cause people to be uh, anxious or worried or nauseous about (laughs) public speaking really boils down to looking at three key buckets. So I call this the savvy speaking system, and it focuses on the physical aspects, the social aspects, and the emotional aspects. So let's start with the physical. And it's going to be different, right, depending on the specifics. So the physical, when it comes to what you described, the high stakes on a stage giving a presentation. If we can get comfortable with that physical surrounding, we're gonna be less anxious. So this is all about preparation, right? This is all about finding out where you're gonna speak, what's the equipment you're gonna have to know about, what are the acoustics, how how is the audience situated? What's the lighting? Are you gonna be able to see them? 
or is it going to be more, you know, them just seeing you? Getting comfortable with the space as soon as possible when you know where you're going to be speaking is critical to getting a handle on that physical environment. And we can do the same for virtual speaking. So it's all about, have you found a space in your home office or wherever you are where the lighting is good? Have you figured out what are the ambient noises around you that could possibly get picked up by the sound? Those kinds of things, answering those questions, practicing in those environments is key. That's all about your physical environment. I think that there is something about a stage, a traditional sort of like elevated Mm -hmm. platform kind of situation that is always going to kind of activate some people's anxiety. But I will say this, if you're nervous, if you're anxious, it's because you care. That's not a bad thing. If you didn't, if you didn't give a hoot about whatever it was that you were about to do on that stage, you wouldn't be nervous. Your audience wouldn't get as much impact out of it. So again, it's all about reframing, right? Like take that nervousness. It's excitement, not nervousness. It's excitement. You're excited because you care about what you're going to talk about. So that's the physical. The second bucket is our social bucket. And this is all about the audience. And there is so much magic here in this bucket, Liz, because so many of our fears about public speaking have to do with I, me, myself. Mm -hmm. But what did we just talk about? We talked about how are we serving others? That's really what this comes down to. So turn it around on your audience. You can be as prepared as the best motivational speaker in the country. But if you're not talking about what your audience wants you to talk about, if you're not addressing their needs, you're going to bomb. So use your social knowledge to prepare something that is going to serve your audience. So that has to do with maybe doing some research. You know, who are you going to be speaking to? What are their concerns? What do they need? What do they want? What are they going to be there for? Um, And, you know, if it's not a traditional stage audience speaking engagement, let's say it's something more like a meeting or more like a networking group, the same thing applies. Get as much information as you can about who's going to be in the room and what they care about. And then adjust your approach accordingly. doesn't mean change who you are. It just means think about the audience first and yourself second. That will also really help your nervousness because anytime the focus is off of you, you relax a little bit, you unclench, you calm. Um, So it's a great way to both enhance the effectiveness of your communication and also kind of even out some of the, some of the nerves. The emotional, the third bucket, this is the toughest. This is what's in between your ears. And that's where most of our problems with public speaking generate. And so this is where a lot of mindfulness and grounding techniques can be really helpful. And when it comes to those kinds of techniques, you just kind of have to try and see what resonates with you. Um, Power posing is something I like to talk about a lot. There was a TED Talk by Amy Cuddy a, a while back. And it was a little bit controversial. Her research was a little bit controversial, but, um, you know, she talked about striking a superhero pose. So like, I'm I'm sitting here, but it's like the, you know, hands on your hips, the stand up straight, the chest out, you know, the Wonder Woman pose. And I'm a Wonder Woman cosplayer. So this really (laughs) resonates with me. Even striking that pose for 10 seconds in the wings 
before I go out on the stage for a speaking engagement. It's amazing the change. It just completely changes your posture, both literally and figuratively. So power posing is one thing. Power anthems is another. You know, listening to music that gives you what you need before you start speaking. Well, you know, some people, for me, I would want something that would pump me up. Other people might want something calming. It's just kind of whatever you need. There's also what I call the 333 kind of grounding exercise. So you kind of calm to the best that you can and you talk to yourself and you name three things you can see, three things you can hear, and then you and then you check in with three parts of your body. So just kind of taking that grounding. So that's what I really ask people to focus on when we're really trying to get them more comfortable with speaking. And again, I really do feel that this system works regardless of whether you're about to step on stage in front of a thousand people or whether you're just going into a networking event. It really is just about taking some stock and taking some control of these three different environments. And that sense of control and that sense of preparation uh, can really do wonders. I absolutely love this framework and these techniques because I believe that they do work. I've personally have used some of these strategies. I've used, I've learned some new ones here, but I, I think it's so true when you talk about that physical space and really visualizing what that's going to look like and then being prepared. And this goes to, you know, inter- job interviews. I, I've seen this, you know, time and time again, or, or any type of presentation, being prepared. But the other piece that really stands out to me, and I think this is what actually helped me, Betty, was it's not about me. It's about the message. Because usually when I am out there listening to a speaker, lecture, I'm there for the content. (laughs) But when I see that they're nervous, I get distracted. And I'm like, no, I trust what you have to say. Like, I'm here for your information. And then it does this, it is distracting. So really, you know, putting yourself out there and thinking about, again, that service, you're there for this message. Uh, But when you feel that you are experiencing these physical emotions, then the mindfulness, and I'm all about the power pose and (laughs) the music. I will tell you that I, before a big event or a presentation, I listen to Kelly Clarkson that pumps me up. (laughs) That's That's a good one. And then I do my power pose as well. And so there's research that backs up that this actually does help, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's... um... I love the music piece too, because it kind of brings up a, a another technique that I've advocated for, which is uh, alter ego. So Beyonce is uh, a great thing to listen to for me. I like uh, Beyonce, Aretha Franklin, um, big, powerful vocals. Like that's what gets me going. And if people remember, maybe, maybe our Gen Zers don't remember, uh, but way back when Beyonce was really first starting her solo career, she had an alter ego that she used with Sasha Fierce, right? Yep. Genius. It's genius. <laughs> That's right. Even though we like to think like, oh my gosh, Beyonce is Beyonce. Why does Beyonce need an alter ego? That's a good thing to remember. Also, people, if you're getting nervous and anxious out there, even Beyonce needed an alter ego. You know, this happens to everybody. It's not just you. It happens to everybody. And so think about your alter ego. Who do you want to become? What are the qualities? What are the characteristics that in an ideal world that you would want people to say that you had. And you can put together an alter ego 
that has all of those things. And then eventually you kind of become that alter ego, just like Beyonce eventually shouldn't need Sasha Fierce anymore. Mm -hmm. But it was helpful for her at a point in her career when she was attempting something new and something risky and something maybe that she wasn't 100% comfortable with at the time that really helped her through. So there's so many people that we can look to for ways to really turn these tips into something that is really personal, that works, that works for you, that is unique, that helps get you from point A to point B. No, I, I think all of these strategies and techniques are extremely effective. And I think it's really first stepping out of your comfort zone and knowing that it's normal to be nervous and scared and it takes practice. These tools are out there that can help facilitate that. And the more you do it, the better you will get at it. So I think that these are, the, this is a batch or a bundle of effective strategies for someone's toolkit who wants to improve their communication and public speaking skills. I'm really passionate about this topic, as you can see. <laughs> uh, now, let's say, you know, for someone that is maybe a little bit more confident in their speaking and they've been asked to do a presentation for either a job interview or just, you know, on a topic that maybe they have expertise. Can you provide some examples of how can someone go into crafting a message that resonates with their audience? and leaves a lasting impact. What strategies do you have around that? Oh, what a great question. I think, you know, going back to something we've discussed already, which is think about what your audience is looking for. Are they looking to be informed? Are they looking to be inspired? Are they looking to be persuaded? Are you trying to change someone's mind about a particular issue? What is the end result that you want people to walk away? How do you want people to feel when they walk away from your presentation? I always think that is the audience and how they feel is the best place to start. You're never going to go wrong if you start there and periodically come back to that and make sure that you're on track. Um, so I think that is a really good place to start. One really good piece of advice, you know, I love watching other speakers, but I think something that can happen, and I, I'll be honest, it's happened to me, is when you go watch another presentation or another speaker, you can start playing that comparison game and you can start saying, well, if I make my presentation like Liz's, which was really good, then I'll be successful. But here's the thing, Liz's message coming out of your mouth isn't the same, nor should it be. So what I like to suggest is, you know, when you're watching other people and getting ideas from other speakers, other presenters, other people in your orbit, definitely take down what you like, you know, jot notes about what you like, what's working for you, but then don't just take that and plop it into whatever you're doing. You have to make it yours. It's just like you don't go into chat GPT and then copy and paste verbatim what it spits out and put it up on your blog because you're not a robot. And that sounds like a robot. You have to make it sound like you and you have to believe it or else nobody else is going to believe it. So take those things that you like about other speakers, other presenters, and just sit with how you can 
do something similar, but with your own stamp. Because when you try to be someone else, I think that's where we really get into some problems. And that's where you're going to have credibility issues with your audience. Audiences can tell. Audiences can 100% tell when you are not bought in to what you're saying. I think I always struggle with, you know, if I'm practicing a presentation, which I, I do definitely recommend preparation. I don't recommend over-preparation, but I do recommend preparation. Um, when you're preparing, I do think it's really good to have kind of two different types of people who can provide feedback for you. One is someone who knows you really, really well, because they can be real good about giving you the feedback of things like, okay, that doesn't sound like you. That's not something that you've ever said before. And then find somebody who maybe doesn't know you as deeply, but maybe knows the context or knows the the specific subject that you're speaking on. You know, have multiple different perspectives of feedback and then seek that feedback and seek it in a way that is, I, I think if you seek feedback kindly, it will typically be delivered kindly. Yes. <laughs> so that's, I guess that's what I would, that's what I would say. <laughs> about that. Those are, I think, some good strategies in terms of putting a message together that actually, you know, sounds like is really coming from a place where you believe in it, but then also hits your audience in the way that, in the way that they prefer. That's fruitful. And I think it's good to also remind people of authenticity and you're right. I think because with public speaking, there's always room for improvement and you want to be engaging, but embrace your voice is what mm -hmm. I'm hearing. And, you know, for me, I do look at other speakers and I love to watch TED Talks and really just pull some techniques like, oh, that really resonated with me or I like that tone or I like this. But to be cautious, as you said, not to compare yourself because we all have our own personality. And yeah. I think this is also a good reminder, like in any case, so even when I'm preparing people for interviews, is the people that do really well are people that are actually able to show their personality, their enthusiasm, their authenticity, and that it's an organic conversation. I would rather have that than, like you said, someone sounding like a robot, or there's a checklist, or like, I'm in interview mode. <laughs> it's like, I can see right through that. And like, I want to get to know you. And the same thing in a public speaking situation. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. I mean, you know, we kind of got to a place where authenticity was this buzzword. And some people took it to mean like casual. And mm -hmm. I, when, I, I think when we talk about authenticity, we don't mean unpolished. Right. You can be authentic and still be polished and professional. But yeah, there's, there's words and phrases and sort of linguistic tools that I would never use that would sound ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but from someone else make perfect sense. And so it's just about so much of this comes with age and boy, do I wish that I had like a time machine to go back to 25 year old Betty and just be like, no, don't your instincts are right. Don't worry about X, Y, and Z, but we have to kind of figure it out on our own, you know, 25 year old Betty was definitely much more concerned with, you know, is my communication conforming to any number of, you know, norms or stereotypes or, or whatever. And 
I think age and experience helps us to kind of like put that in the trash and be like, no, like life's too short to be beaten around the bush there. We, we have to say what we mean, mean what we say, but, but do it in a way that, that makes sense in the context of your professional environment. You have to own it. Yeah. You have to own it. And again, full transparency, you know, it's like you take out this vulnerability in me, Benny, and I'm going to share with you only because I feel like this is such a hot topic. And, and it's something where I have personally evolved as a public speaking, even the podcast, you know, this is a whole other world for mm -hmm. me and it's uncomfortable. And I will say that I have been listening to podcasts for over a decade. <laughs> and that was one of my goals. I'm like, oh, I want to be a podcaster. And I would listen to, you know, all these different influencers and I'm like, I want to sound like them. And then here I start my podcast and I'm like, I sound nothing like them. I ramble, <laughs> I have my accent. And so for me, it's like, I really had to dig deep and just, you know, doing this for a minute now and just getting listeners who reach out to me and are grateful for the topics and just having this platform that has given me a little more confidence, but I I'm again, full transparency for me, I did struggle in that arena in, you know, being able to find my voice, use my voice and just use my gifts and not be embarrassed yeah. and just show up as me. <laughs> and, you know, it will resonate with some and not others, but I'm here to to serve. So going back to our initial kind of thought process is, uh, is just really about serving yeah. And and that's, I guess, I really want to say that that is really what has kept me going. Now, yeah. I mean, you are an expert and extremely polished, and this is your thing. But regardless of expertise, I always believe like there's always room for growth. Yes. And so for you as an impactful speaker, how do you approach continuous improvement in your, in your own speaking skills? Oh, such a good question. So ask for feedback. Number one piece of advice is I always ask for feedback, whether it is a formal speaking engagement, whether it's a session with a, a coaching session with a client, whether it is, you know, a facilitation session, you know, that I'm helping another company lead with their team, always going back for repeat feedback and then acting on it. Right. So that is, there's two parts of feedback. There's soliciting it, and then there's actually synthesizing it. So making sure that I ask for it and then really sit with it mm -hmm. and making sure that I can process it before putting into effect any any tweaks or changes or, or things like that. So that's number one is always asking for feedback. I think the other thing, uh, again, we've already talked about it, is I watch other people who are experts in this arena. And I try to surround myself with people who are at the top of their game and try to learn from them. And I think we all do this in our respective industries. It's so funny because like there are speakers that, you know, probably 99% of the world has never heard of, but I would like lose my mind if I met them in person because I'm just so <laughs> inspired by them. And I think that they're so, so rad. I, I think that's another thing is just kind of, you have to make the effort nobody's in charge of your development as a person and as a professional besides you. So I, I try really hard to, as I'm making and adjusting my plans throughout the year, make sure that I'm leaving time and money to be able to plug into those kinds of 
you know, those kinds of trainings, those kinds of conferences to really help see what's new and interesting in the industry and what do I need to be learning and what are the tools that are available now that maybe weren't available before. So it's it's really just about kind of activating that curious part of of yourself, right? That that constant curiosity of what else is out there. You know, however you do your planning, whether it's on paper or on a calendar app or whatever, make sure that you prompt yourself. Plug in those prompts so that your system will remind you, hey, you should be thinking about some professional development or you should be looking into some training and improvement. I think those are I think those are really good kind of meaty pieces of feedback for for what I use in terms of kind of keeping myself top of top of game. I think the other thing too is um, be active in whatever professional community you're in. So for speakers, there's uh, the National Speakers Association. There's local chapters of that. There's all kinds of Facebook groups. Just sort of don't be afraid to put yourself in those environments. And maybe not all of them are helpful, but try a few, try some, and then you'll figure out kind of where your niche is and where your comfort level is. There is a a Facebook group, for instance, of just the women in the National Speakers Association. And I find so much value in that group, not just from looking at people who've been doing this a lot longer than I have, but just it, it helps you to see, huh, even the like tippity top of the pros have questions mm-hmm. and don't get it right all the time. And so it's that reinforcement that like, none of us are perfect. We're never going to be. So just like put perfect somewhere else. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. But I think this is a good reminder, right? So no matter the level of your ex- of expertise and that we, it's having that growth mindset and investing in our professional development, immersing ourselves in communities that align with our interests and, and also to challenge us to improve and really, you know, expand our, our knowledge and, and whatever it is that we want to learn. But I'll say that anybody who's listening to this is most likely someone who is looking for growth. So we're speaking to the right, you know, we are we're speaking <laughs> to the right people here. Yeah. Well, and to your point, you know, if you have the resources, having a coach is probably like one of the most important and life-changing things that I did when I started my business. And I think again, because I was a little older when I started my business, because I had already been in the professional sphere for 20 years, I knew automatically, I am not going to be able to do this by myself. I'm going to need help. And so let me go out there and find some help. So I think if you have the resources to put kind of a team together for yourself, whether that's a coach or, you know, a consultant or whatever. But even if you don't have the ability to pay for somebody, put people around mentors, sponsors, people around you who can also help remind you of things that are out there, of things that you could be doing um, and, and who can also help ground you and that, you know, there's perspective to all of this because we are all, I think, our own harshest critics. We we are harder on ourselves than we ever are on anybody else. So it's nice to have like a personal board of directors who can kind of smack you in the face, uh, theoretically, not literally, and say, hey, you know, 
get, come back, come back to focus. This isn't as bad as you're making it out to be or as hard or whatever. Having your tribe, that is valuable advice. I feel that if you don't have the resources, right, to still be able to create that network, that support system, I think is important in every aspect of our development. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, that there are resources and services that maybe you do have to invest in, which is a perfect segue into my next question. So can you talk more about your services and resources that you offer? And how do people connect with you to work with you? Yeah, of course. So whenever people ask me what I do for a living, I always have a hard time because there's multiple sort of components. I am a speaker. I love speaking. So um, obviously, if folks are interested in that kind of engagement with me, uh, I would love to chat. I love speaking to organizations, not just with women, although I definitely have a soft spot uh, for women professionals. But I do think that one of the ways that we get more women to speak up and speak out is for men and non-women identifying individuals to you know, understand a little bit more about kind of what we all go through. So I speak to a lot of different groups and, and that's one way that you can engage with me. Probably my favorite thing that I do is my one-on-one coaching. Um, I love working with people to really like pull out their goals and their aspirations and their values and what's important to them and put a plan together to get there. Um, It really is fun. It's teamwork. And it's so rewarding to like be a part of someone else's development. But then I also do some organizational work, some more sort of consulting type work, you know, whether that is team dynamics, whether that is executive presence, team building, communication, all of those things. So I really do something that is very important to me about my work is that it's highly customized. Again, I am constantly trying to put myself in my audiences and in my clients' shoes and saying, what, what would I be looking for if I was them? So I really work hard to sort of customize what I do to help maximize the results for my clients. So I am primarily Instagram and LinkedIn are probably the best ways to reach out to me. I am uh, Betty Rhodes Speaks. I'm sure we'll put show notes in here that have the actual links, but I try to also in those spaces, put out a lot of just tips and tricks just for free that hopefully will either help somebody or spark a discussion or get someone thinking about something in a different way. So I would love to engage with folks, you know, in the comments, in the DMs, whatever people want in those areas. And then my website is shespeakscoaching.com. Liz, I'm sure you know, as business owner, websites are always a work in progress and kind of like our worst (laughs) nightmares. Uh, But there are at least, if nothing else, uh, you know, some information about kind of how I do my work and and how to get in touch with me. So those, those are all kind of, all kind of the things that I'm working on. And I will say um, I'm in the San Francisco Bay area and I'm really hoping to get a little bit more into some in-person networking events Hmm. for women in this area. So particularly if any of your listeners are in the Bay area, I would love for you to get in touch and, you know, share a little bit about what you're looking for because I feel like San Francisco is one of those areas where, you know, with the tech industry, there, there's there's a need. There's so many badass women in tech, 
but I don't really see them all gathering and networking and, you know, kind of working together. So I would love to kind of get into some of that this year as well. That was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. I'm just like, yes, yes. And yes, so many things. I will definitely include your contact information in the show notes. And obviously you are someone who loves to engage. I absolutely loved chatting with you today. And our mutual connection actually is a, was a guest on my podcast and her episode is before yours. Ooh, and so <laughs> I'm so grateful as, as we were chatting that, you know, she connected me to you. I will definitely be reaching out to you. And as someone who loves California in San Francisco, when I make my way over there, you better believe that I will be <laughs> contacting you. And Yay. one other thing that I need to mention to my listeners and people who know me personally know that I am a wine person. I love wine. And that's another reason why you and I hit it off. So <laughs> Betty is a sommelier. Is that how you say it? Sommelier? That is. It is. <laughs> and so I know we're going to be continuing our conversation. We're going to talk about pub more public speaking and then we're going to talk about all the wine. So I try to, in, in my content on LinkedIn and Instagram, uh, on, at least once a week, usually on Wine Wednesdays, I really try to find those commonalities between the world of wine and the world of leadership and career development. And, you know, if you go over to my page and, and check out some of those posts, you'll see that there are plenty of ways that we can find things in common between these two seemingly different arenas. So I'm always excited about the chance to discuss career development, leadership, communication, but with a little bit of a focus on uh, sipping on the good stuff. So for sure, you're come, come join us in California wine country anytime. I'm all about it. Betty, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you as a guest and I will definitely be connected with you. Thanks so much, Liz. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening. Okay, this is what I love about podcasting. Having the opportunity to learn from experts in their field, willing to share strategies and best practices to help us in our professional development and our growth. And they are so inspiring. My biggest takeaway today is that your voice, our voice, holds immense power capable of driving positive change and leaving a lasting impact. Whether you're about to step into that big stage or navigate a high stakes, crucial meeting, Betty's insights on mindset shifts, reframing communication, and having the courage in uncomfortable spaces are key in building our confidence as we serve our mission and our purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anyone else that may benefit from today's content. I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn and on Instagram at Liz Career Coaching. Until next time, this is Liz Herrera, your career coach and job search ally.